You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. So we've been doing the series on a love that lasts, and um, we are going into a new uh, portion of the series, When You're in Love, the Heart Matters. And we all know that the heart matters, right? The heart is considered the seat of the emotions. So we will say that a heart represents love when we see a heart, the shape of a heart. We say a heart jumps for joy. But a heart can also hate, a heart can hurt, a heart can be broken, a heart can also pitter-patter when someone special walks in the room. A heart can squeeze with fear, it can be full of fear. A heart can soften with compassion, or a heart can harden with bitterness. A lot happens with our heart. Um, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Another version says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything flows from it. Our desires, our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings, our actions are reflected by what is happening in the core of our heart. And in order to protect our hearts, we have to go to God's word and be in tune with what he is saying to us. So tonight, I know that you are here because you want to be in tune with what God is saying to you. You want to know clearly what God is saying. And we have to do something for that to happen. We have to submit ourselves to what God wants and submission. Any of you, when you hear that word, you just kind of like, ugh submission but you know what I was like that for a long time when I heard the word submission I was like Ugh. it means I have to do what I don't want to do <laughs> and then I learned that the, what submission means is working in agreement with God if you're in marriage submission means working in agreement with your spouse it's saying hey we're on the same team here and we work together in agreement and submission is an act of faith. Because when we submit to God, we're trusting God. We're trusting him with our lives. We're trusting him to work out his purpose in his time. We're trusting that he has our best interest at heart. And we have to be ready to submit our will to God and see what he has to say. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We all want to be a true Christian, right? None of us here are saying, I want to be a hypocrite right? We're all saying, I want to be real. I want to be the real deal. I want to be an authentic Christian. Well, there was a gymnast. I heard this story. There was a gymnast who was out of work, and he heard that the gorilla at the local zoo had died. So he had a bright idea. I have an authentic-looking gorilla suit. I'm going to go see the manager and see if he'll hire me to be their gorilla. So he did. He asked the manager, he said, you know what? I have this authentic looking gorilla suit. You won't have to go find another gorilla. 
Um, you won't even have to feed me. And I can do amazing tricks. So the manager actually said yes. So this gymnast went, he went in his authentic gorilla suit. He went and did his tricks and he was wowing the crowd. They were loving it. So he decided he needed to make it a little more exciting. So he got on swinging on his rope and he would swing over the top of the lion's cage, which was next to his cage. And one day as he's swinging over top of the lion's cage, guess what happened? The rope broke. And he is face to face with a lion. And he forgets that he's wearing this gorilla suit. He forgets that he's supposed to be pretending to be a gorilla. And he hollers, help me! And the lion says, shut up or we'll both lose our jobs. So what is the moral of this story? We can only pretend for so long. Our authenticity will be called into question, and we need to be the real deal. And being the real deal, a real Christian, starts on the inside. We can't get an outfit or a gorilla suit or a Christian suit. It all begins on the inside because God looks on our heart, and that's why we have to guard our hearts. Whatever is on the inside will eventually show up on the outside. And many of us, I know, have prayed this prayer like David did in Psalms. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The meditation of my heart. I studied that one time and it meant the murmurings or the mutterings of my heart. Any of you ever murmured or muttered before? You know, someone asks you to do something and you're doing it and the whole time you're like, <laughs> just, you know, you don't really want to do it. You're murmuring or muttering. And if that's in our heart, that's called an attitude. And an attitude is a condition of the heart. An attitude always shows up on the outside. Because what is an attitude? An attitude is an inward feeling expressed by an outward behavior. The way we think or feel will control our actions. Our attitude will control our actions. And if someone has a bad attitude, we know it, right? There may be doors slamming, lots of sighing going on, or maybe sometimes you tell your kids to do something, go clean your room, and they stomp down the hallway, and you know they have an attitude. Our attitude does control our actions. Our attitude also controls our obedience or our lack of obedience. We can't see people's hearts, but we eventually see their attitudes. We eventually see their outside. God sees the heart, and that's where it all begins. So if our attitude is, God, you are holy, and I want to be holy like you, show me what you want me to do, God. He will show us. I was wondering, as I was thinking about this, why did Jesus ask certain people, certain disciples, why did he say, follow me, to certain ones? He didn't say that to everybody, but there were some that he said, follow me, and they were not perfect. It was Peter and Andrew and James, 
and John and Levi. Most of them were fishermen. One was a tax collector. Why did he say, follow me? Immediately, every one of these, it says, immediately they left all to follow him. And I believe it's because he could see their heart. There were some other people following Jesus around, the Pharisees and the scribes, and he never ever said to them, follow me. And I think that's because he could see their heart. Their heart was full of judgmentalism and rebellion. They were only worried about how they looked. They were self-righteous. And they knew a lot about the rules and the religious laws, but their heart wasn't in it. They were just trying to make themselves look good. God does see our heart. That's why we have to guard our heart. Because out of it are the issues of life. Everything else in life comes from our heart. And we, val we guard what's valuable to us, right? If you have something that's very valuable, you make sure it is in a place where nobody can touch it. If you have um, an ornament, maybe, that is very precious to you, you value it, and you know that a three-year-old rambunctious little boy is coming to visit, you do not leave it sitting on the coffee table. You put it up high because you do not want that little destroyer to destroy your ornament. Right? Well, we have to protect our heart from the destroyer. And we know who he is. He's the destroyer of souls. And that's why we separate ourselves unto God and live a life of holiness, a life that is separated unto God and separated from the world. I read this quote um, from Carla Burton. She said, The whole purpose of holiness is to be pleasing to God and accepted into his presence. So therefore, a large part of our holiness is our attitude. Holiness starts on the inside the desire to be separated from the world and separated unto God. And we know the verse in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. It says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Our outward holiness will be acceptable to him if our inward attitude is correct. He wants us to offer our attitude to him first, and then we'll get the rest in order. And as we know, our perspective will affect our attitude. And I need to stop and have a drink. I'm sorry. So our perspective will affect our attitude. And I'm going to give you um, a very down-to-earth example. I remember years ago when I had three children at home, three small children. Um, and I, one day I was washing the laundry. And I was probably muttering, feeling like, oh, just all this work and all these, this laundry all the time. And <laughs> Jasmina can relate. <laughs> And so as I was doing it, I realized, hey, I'm, I'm being very ungrateful here. The Lord put into my heart, hey, you have children that have laundry. Some people don't have children and they want children. You have a husband and you get to do his laundry. So I realized I was thinking of it as a burden when it was actually a blessing. I get to wash their clothes 
And as I was doing it, I started doing something different. I started praying as I would pick out a piece of their dirty laundry to put it in the... I would pray over that family member. And I realized that it wasn't a burden. It was a blessing. And I loved them, and I didn't want them running around in stinky, dirty clothes. I wanted what was best for them. And that's exactly how God is for us. He wants what is best for us. He wants us to be holy like him. He wants us unpolluted by the world. And we have to ask ourselves, do I look at living for God as a burden or a blessing? Is it a duty or is it a delight? And he's given us holiness guidelines to protect us. It's like a fence around us, protecting us to guard us from being harmed and controlled by the things of the world because he loves us. And so what do we do because we love him? And that's what I want to talk about. When you are in love, some things you'll do when you're in love. And the Bible compares our relationship with God to um, a marriage. So we're going to talk about some of the parallels between an earthly loving relationship and our relationship with God. So some people love, love, love to talk about love right? Mostly women, but I bet there are some romantic men out there too. They're a a romantic at heart, and they love to talk about love. And we know that in all relationships, whether it's spouse or sibling or friend, every relationship, um, the heart matters. And we do things in marriage, if we do things in marriage, just because that's what married people do, that's a good start. But if we do it from a heart of love, that's much better. If we have love in our hearts, we will aim to please. We won't just do the bare minimum. I read this paragraph from an article, and um, it really stuck out to me. It says, there is a wave of minimalism sweeping this generation, asking, do I have to do this or that? Or what is the least I can do and still be saved? Or better yet, the famous question, Is this a heaven or hell issue? This mentality has nothing to do with love. When we're in love, we don't do what we have to do. We do what we believe will please the other person. Anytime we love something or consider it to be of great value, we create boundaries to protect it. We do this with our money, our children, our relationships, and even our health. We must also put practices and principles in place that will demonstrate the high value we place on our relationship with God and that we are willing to protect it at any cost. Anybody here want to guard your heart? Anybody here want to act like somebody who's in love? You want to prove that you're in love with God? Well, we're going to talk about a few things of what we do when we're in love. Number one. We talk different. When we're in love, it affects our speech. When you're in love, you start saying things like honey and love and honey bun and sweetie pie. And if you're from the South, you say sugar, sweet thing. Right? We talk different when we're in love. When we're in love, we brag on that person more. You know, we'll say, oh, he is so smart. Miranda told me one time that I believe anything my husband says. She's like, even if he doesn't know what he's talking about, you think he does. 
But when we are in love, we brag on them. Maybe the guy says, oh, she's so beautiful. And she makes the best Rice Krispie squirrels, squares ever. Squirrels. <laughs> They'd be good. When we're in love, it affects our speech. <laughs> so Ephesians, let's see what the Bible says about this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to 32. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And the next verse in chapter 5 and 1 says, basically says, follow God's example. Live a life that is filled with love. Can you imagine? It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That would mean no unkind words, no harsh words, no nagging, no gossip, no laughing at um, double meaning jokes, no complaining, no complaining. I complain today. And the Lord brought this scripture to my mind. Three times today I said, I am so cold. I was freezing. And then I remembered I, I can't do that. I have to realize I had a coat I could put on. There's somebody in another part of the world complaining about the heat probably. So it's a hard one to not complain. And then if we go to Philippians, Philippians 2, 14 and 15, it says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. I think it all comes down to being a little more thankful for what we have, doesn't it? And how many posts do you see on social media and it's somebody complaining about something? We have to be wise. We have to use our social media platforms as if we are actually standing on a public platform holding a microphone. So nowadays, we not only have to bite our tongue, someone, I heard someone say, we have to duct tape our thumbs when we get tempted to say the wrong thing. Um, and I read an article that said there is more gossip through texting than through any other way now. And we have to remember that God can read, right? And we need to use our every way we communicate to show love and to promote God. Jesus said in Matthew 12 and 34, From the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So we have to guard our hearts so that we have a pure heart that helps us filter what is right and what is wrong. And we cannot say everything that's on our mind, can we? Uh, Proverbs 29:11 says, "A fool uttereth all his mind; a wise man keepeth it in until afterwards." And sometimes we use the the excuse, "Well, I'm just telling the truth," right? Well, there was a certain man 
who his brother died, and he went to the minister and asked him to do his brother's funeral. And he told the minister, I will give your church $100,000 if at my brother's funeral, funeral you will say he was a saint. And he wasn't. He was not a good man. And the minister was like, I don't want to lie, but our church really needs $100,000. So at the funeral, the minister got up and he said, this man was a liar, a cheat, and a womanizer, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. So we must speak the truth, and we must speak it in love, right? Ephesians chapter 4 says we should hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. And as I read that part, becoming more and more like Christ, it leads me to the next thing that we do when we are in love. We start to take on the characteristics of the one we love. Some couples even start to look alike. And apparently my husband and I looked alike when we were dating. Because we were in Bible college, and a girl uh, came to college from Montreal, I believe it was, and for the first three months she thought we were brother and sister. And when she found out we were boyfriend and girlfriend, she said, I wondered why you guys liked hanging out so much. (laughs) Like, why does this brother and sister like to be together so much? But we actually do take on the characteristics of the one we love. And maybe it's because we're amazed by their uh, traits. You know, they have some very positive traits. And you know that their influence makes you a better person. Uh, Maybe that person doesn't talk negatively about other people. And you, you realize that when you're with them, it just makes your spirit feel cleaner. And um, you make a conscious effort not to be negative. And when we love God, we take on his character. We walk in the spirit. We're led by him. We love like he loves. We think like he thinks. We show grace and humility like him. So number three, when you are in love, you want to spend time with them. You want to get to know them, right? You want to know all their hopes and their dreams and their goals. You just want to hear their voice. You want to read their love letters and reread their love letters or their love text. You just feel like you can be yourself around them. You feel completely loved. Okay, maybe not completely. Because no person can do that, right? Only God loves unconditionally. To our girls, our young girls, I'm going to say this. Don't have unrealistic expectations. There is no guy that can totally fulfill you, no matter how great he is. It's only God. God is the only one that is going to love you unconditionally. He's the only one that is going to fulfill you totally. But we do still love to spend time with the people that we love. And I loved spending time with my husband when we were in college. Every break between class, he would run down to see me. Um, When we were going on a date and he said, I'll be there at 7, I was there and I was ready. And I still love to spend time with him. And guys, when guys are in love, they will actually go shopping. 
And when girls are in love, they will actually shop at Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> or Cabela's. But our time together nurtures our love. Our time together protects our heart. And it's the same way when we spend time with God. When we spend time with him, it's nurturing our love. It's protecting our heart. Um, our ministry staff, we have a set time um, every day here at the church on the days that we're here working that we gather together for prayer. And not long ago, um, I was five minutes late. And I came in here, and as I got on my knees, it struck me. You know, I just missed out on five minutes with the most amazing, loving, and powerful being ever. And that evening, as I went into pre-service prayer in the fellowship hall, I looked around and saw such a small group in there in pre-service prayer, and it made my heart really sad. And I thought, there's so many people missing out on a chance to be with that amazing, powerful, loving being. There's a set time, but we're standing God up. He's there waiting. He's ready. He's ready to speak to us. He's ready to receive our praise and our thanks. He's ready to pour his love on us. He's ready to prepare us for what is going to happen in the service so we can be sensitive to his spirit. And as I looked around at those people in pre-service prayer, I noticed that most of them were over the age of 60. And that scared me. I thought, wow, what's it going to be in a few years? Who's going to be here? I do have to say there are a few young families there um, bringing their children to prayer, and that's the right thing to do. I saw one young man in there tonight. That was good. That made me happy, and I know it made God extra happy. Every relationship we're in, we can have the potential of taking someone for granted, and we can take God for granted. But remember, he wants you to come to him. And when we love someone, we, we will be intentional about spending time with them. If I'm too busy for God, I'm a much busier than God intended for me to be. So what is keeping us from spending time with God, from reading his love letters, the Bible? Do you know the enemy has a goal? And that is to keep us from having union with God. If he can just keep us so busy, so distracted, so worn out, just running on fumes, he knows we will not have the energy to give God the attention that he deserves. When more of God is what we need the most, when more of God is what gives us the most joy, he wants to keep us from that. So when we're in love, we'll want to spend time together. We'll be saying, God, what are your plans for me? What goals should I be aiming for? We have to guard our heart and spend time with God. Next, when you're in love, number four. And this one's a really difficult one. When you're in love, you sacrifice self. You do things you really don't feel like doing. Sometimes maybe our spouse will ask us to do something and we don't feel like doing it and maybe we'll sigh. We'll go do it anyway because we love them. But that sigh probably doesn't make them feel really loved, right? 
And it's a heart issue. We give up selfish desires because our heart loves. Um, back again to when our kids were small and I was home with three kids, um, my husband would go away for a week or more to either insurance meetings or church conferences. And as soon as he got home, I would be like, let's go out to eat. And he would say, I just ate out at restaurants all week. I want a home-cooked meal. And I've been there for a week with three kids eating Kraft Dinner and Mr. Noodle. <laughs> and I wanted to go out to eat. So one of us had to sacrifice what self wanted. And usually it was one of us. <laughs> I can't tell. So maybe some of you ladies have been doing something that your husband loves since the day you got married. And you do it because he loves, he loves it. Maybe, maybe some of you men, maybe your wife loves you wearing cowboy boots. So even though you have a bunion on both big toes, you will wear those cowboy boots because of love. And I know they're crazy examples. But sometimes we do have to do things for God that we don't feel like doing. But we do it because of the love in our heart. And separating from the world and its influences might be one of them because it is easier to just blend in. But God is saying, be holy like me, come out from among them, and be ye separate. Now the cross was all about giving up of self. That's what Jesus did. He gave of himself. And when we carry our cross and follow Jesus, that's what we are doing. We're giving up our selfish desires to follow God and to obey God. We're being different than the world. We are being holy. And we don't do certain things. We don't go certain places because the cross that you carry as you follow Jesus does not belong in that atmosphere, right? And as I was thinking about that, Hawker, um, if we are carrying our cross and following Jesus, we have to be able to, to lift up holy hands to him everywhere. And this first few verses of 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 to 10, it talks about what men should do. This first one, uh, verse 8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And then it talks about what women should do. But I thought, why is it talking just to men? Men lift up holy hands, consecrated hands, dedicated to God, and praying everywhere. Now, we definitely pray at church, but I think it's God saying, I want you to not be afraid to let people know that you are on the same team as God, no matter where you're at. Men, don't be ashamed to be the spiritual leader of your home. And the fact that you men are here lets me know that when Jesus asked you to follow him, you answered and you followed. And you are men of endurance. And through the years, I've had some women say to me, I am so tired of being the spiritual leader of my home. I just wish my husband would be the one that says, let's pray about this. Or I wish my husband would be the one to say, let's do devotions together or to make sure that we all get to church when we should. Men, you are to lead your home, and the woman is to be submitted to you, to work in agreement with you, but first you have to be submitted to God. 
That's the proper order. And the more authority we have, the more responsibility we have. So we need to pray for the men that are leading our homes. They need our prayers. They have a huge responsibility to lead our, our homes spiritually. This verse says to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So why are the, is this saying to men to do it with, without wrath and without doubting? Um, everybody gets angry, right? Well, I decided to read up on this, and apparently, yes, everyone gets angry, but men are more prone to act on the anger. And so maybe that's why he was addressing men. And Proverbs 16 and 32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. The Living Bible Translation puts it this way, It is better to be slow-tempered than famous. It is better to have self-control than to control an army. Powerful men control their anger. They don't let their anger control them. And we've heard it said that anger is the second emotion. We usually show anger after we've either been hurt or our pride has been injured. Uh, maybe we're jealous. We're shame, feeling shame about something or we're disappointed. We've had unmet expectations. Anger is natural, but we can't let it grow. We can't let it fester because eventually it will, will dominate our lives and it will affect everybody around us. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry, but sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. The next verse says, Or you will be giving a foothold to the devil. If we stay angry, we're giving the enemy a chance to get a foothold and to make worse things happen in our lives. Maybe the anger in your life is because you're not happy with yourself, or maybe you're holding on to bitterness. But James 1, 19 and 20 says, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for anger does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Sadly, our culture, our current culture, is promoting anger. I read this article about outrage culture. It says, outrage culture is normal. What posts get the most engagement? Sadly, the extremely negative words like shreds, destroys, toxic, lethal, fascist, terrorist, etc., always get the most engagement. Overall, the trend we are seeing is that the more anxiety you can make people feel, the more attention you will get on the internet. And negative and cynical headlines give people a lot of anxiety. This phenomenon leads to groups of people who are filled with anger and hate. Outrage culture is normal. As a result, many don't understand you can disagree with someone without disliking someone. We need to learn to disagree without being disagreeable. Hebrews 12 and 14 puts it this way. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So, men, we have to lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Men, you are the logical thinkers. You're the ones that reason everything out. You're taught to believe that if you, you believe it, if you can measure it, you can identify it, and you can prove it. And that may make it a little harder for you because you want to try to figure God out. And when you can't, you may be tempted to lose interest, to be apathetic, to lose some enthusiasm over it. 
And we know that it is not possible to figure God out. And that's why men have to reach out in faith. Lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Because we have to trust a God, the Bible says, our God is immeasurable. And his ways are unsearchable. So try not to be skeptical or critical when it comes to the kingdom of God. But lift up those holy hands that you have dedicated to God. Without wrath and without doubting. The next few verses in that um, passage in 1 Timothy addresses the ladies, verses 9 and 10. It says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. We are called to look different than the world. And the way much of this world is dressing does not bring glory to God, right? Modesty is not common in our world. So modest apparel. Ladies, are you showing body parts that only your husband should be seeing? If it turns him on, no other man should see it. Husbands, encourage your wives to be modest when other people will be seeing her. You know how guys think. Help her. Help your daughters. Help us to be different from the world. And if you don't have a husband to help you, you still need to dress modestly. We have to ask ourselves, why would a woman dress in skirts that are too short, tops that are too low, clothes that are too tight, items of clothing that is promoted by the world? To fit in with the world or to attract attention to our body? Girls... I'm going to talk to our young girls again. If you dress in a way to attract attention to your body, you're going to attract the wrong kind of guy. But if you want a young man who loves the Lord and lives to please the Lord, then dress modestly and godly. That verse says, with shamefacedness, that means in reverence toward God. With sobriety, that means appropriate clothing, representing good behavior. When I was a teenager, long skirts were in style, like to the ankle. But long slits were also in style. And my pastor said this. He said, a slit suggests what a mini skirt reveals. That was kind of suggesting there's more to see here. So we have to be cautious not to wear clothing that are suggestive. The enemy, Satan, is tempting us to try to, he's saying, just fit in with the world. It's too hard to stand out for God. Just fit in with the world. And I've heard it said that if we're somebody that's questioning who we are, we can get tricked into looking into the world's mirror instead of the mirror of God's word. The world's mirror is saying, if you want to be liked, you have to wear this. You have to do this. You have to go there. God's mirror is saying, I loved you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. God's word is saying, I will never leave you. God's word is saying, you belong to me. God's word is saying, you were set apart for me. Help us to look into your word, into your mirror, God. We have to be cautious of what we wear. We have to ask ourselves, is this within the parameters of God's value system? Of what pleases and represents God? 
or am I representing the world's value system? And I have to say, I love it when I see our ladies dress godly and modesty. If I'm in the mall and I see a lady going, and I was like, oh, there's one of ours. I love that. And some of you may think, say, well, I'm a tomboy. Believe it or not, I was a tomboy for a little while because I wanted to be with my dad. But my mother once told me, she said, if you can't do it modestly in a skirt, then a lady shouldn't be doing it. We can still be stylish and still be modest. And I know it's hard. I feel your pain, ladies. It's hard to find modest clothing. And, but because we love and respect God, we go the extra mile, right? We aim to please God. Even when our flesh does not feel like doing something, we do it because we love God and we ask him for his help. I think the goal is when somebody looks at us, they are focused on God, not on us. That we will produce good works that will bring glory to God. When we sacrifice self, we're taking on the characteristics of God. We're being holy and separated from the world. God sees our heart. He looks on our heart. Everyone else sees the results of what's in our heart. Inward holiness will produce outward fruits, but outward holiness will be evidence of inward change. We have that quote up there. Inward holiness will produce outward fruits, but outward holiness will be evidence of inward change. So number five, what do we do when we're in love? When you're in love, you glow. Do you ever see a couple that's in love? Their faces are shining, their eyes are just sparkling, they're smiling from ear to ear because they have a great hope of a future together and they are in love. When the love of God is in our heart, when we have that hope that only comes from God, we shine. Romans 5 and 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. When people see us, they see the hope that we have. They see the love of God shining from us. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. That's our goal, to glorify our Father. Number six, when you're in love, love grows. Any of you here love your spouse more today than you did on your wedding day? Right? Because we learn more about them. We learn what we can do to help them feel loved and respected. And our love for God will grow as we mature as Christians. We learn to do what pleases God. Every successful relationship, yes, it requires effort. It requires work and discipline. But because we love, we know it's worth it, right? And every time we read God's word and pray and ask what he desires of us, the next thing, the next step is obedience. Because failure to obey what God tells us is rebellion. And as Christians, thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit in us teaching us, the Bible says, and guiding us and leading us into all truth. And Christianity is a journey as we mature as Christians. The main thing, I've heard it said, we're either moving towards God or away from God. When we're moving towards God, that's good. And if we're starting, to, if we feel like we're moving away from God, that's when we get in trouble. Make sure you're moving towards God every day. 
Do you love God more than the day you receive the Holy Ghost? Do you know him more? Are you more excited to spend time with him now than you were then? Is your love growing? Is your submission and obedience to God stronger than it ever was? And the last one, number seven, when you're in love. When you're in love, you want your love to be reciprocated. You want someone to love you back. And, you know, I hope in all your natural relationships, I hope you are loved. But most of all, I want you to know how much God loves you. He has arms open wide. His ears are open unto our cry, the Bible says. And he's saying, come to me. Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16 says, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. A mother cannot forget her hungry child. They will let you know, I am hungry. Right, Evander? When he's hungry, we know it. And he says, can a mother forget? Maybe. Some mothers that are focused on other things beside their children or have problems in their life, may forget their child, but usually a mother does not forget her hungry child. And he says, I will not forget you. You are graven on the palms of my hands. Any of you, when you were young and in love, you would write on your hand, I love so-and-so, you know, so-and-so plus so-and-so, you would write it on your hand. Well, we're not just written on God's hands. We are graven on his hands. You cannot wash it off, and you cannot wear it off. And that reminds me of the nail prints in his hands. Are you still in awe that this holy God loves us enough that he died for us? And shouldn't that make us want to live a holy life for him? A holy God who loves us? He wants us to love him back. We have to make sure our heart is full of a holy love for God, that we belong to God. We guard our heart. We protect it. We guard his presence, his spirit that's in our heart. And we guard his influence. We know that a heart is connected to our physical well-being. If somebody's heart is not healthy, then physically they are not healthy. And we will take matters into our hands to, you know, we're going to avoid eating certain things. We're going to discipline ourselves and exercise a little more. We're going to make sure we do eat some things. And the same way, our heart is connected to our spiritual well-being. We have to avoid certain things. We have to have disciplines. We have to set boundaries because the heart matters. And what we think about will affect our heart. What are you thinking about on a day-to-day basis? You know, everything we see will affect what we think about. Everything we do, what other people are saying to us, the influences we have will affect us. What we think about will affect our heart, and it will either bless it or stress it. So that's why Proverbs says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And sometimes we have to go to the master physician to have a checkup, right? We have to go to God 
to make sure things are right in our heart. And I know life is busy, and maybe you're thinking, I don't really have a lot of time to set aside to pray and talk to God more. But you know that when we take that time from something that's important to us, it shows the value we place in our time with God. You may have to lose something valuable like sleep, or maybe your exercise time, or your time where you connect with other people, uh, be it in person or social media. You may have to give up something that's important to you because you want God to know he is the most important to you. And I guarantee you, when you give up that time and place value on spending time with God, it will be powerful. It will be powerful prayer. Because if you take sacrifice of self and you add it with prayer, it is a powerful outcome every time. Because prayer gives strength to the saints, it gives salvation to the sinner, it gives healing for the hurting. When we submit our heart to God, when we trust God, we can trust him with our heart. And your heart matters to him. We can tell him what's on our heart and our mind and let him pour into us the things we need or to let him clean out the things we don't need. Our heart matters. When you're in love, your heart matters. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.